I'm in my driveway. Okay, so we haven't done one of these in a while. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. It is Elliot, the return of the Elliot drives home after doing a regional game car cast. <laughs> you just completed, uh, along with David Amber and Justin Moore and cameo by Brian Burke. More on that in a couple of moments. Doing the Pittsburgh Penguins Toronto Maple Leafs game. And you are on your way home, driving safely as you always do. Yes. Highlight of the night for me was this exchange. Do you miss us? No. <laughs> well, not much we knew. That was the one obvious answer. Really. How was it seeing Berkey again tonight? You know, it was good. You know, I love to see him, uh, a former teammate of ours. We didn't get a chance to see a lot of him. He was, uh, obviously, he was working. He came over late in the second period. So we didn't really get a chance to talk while the game was going on. Spoke to him briefly during the commercial break. You know, hoping I'll get a chance to catch up with him in the future. But uh, it's always great to catch up with him. And I didn't even have to. The best part about that, Jeff, was we didn't even have to rehearse that. I just said <laughs> I'm, to myself, I'm going to ask it. And he's going to know what to do. And he did. I threw him a belt-high fastball. And he whacked it on the fifth deck. No rehearsal. Here's my question. When he left the set, did he say, good job, David? Actually, he didn't. That was the stunning. Or if he did it, I didn't notice. Yeah, that was a weird one. Because I I guess we explained that Berkey has this thing when he worked on Hockey Night with us where after a segment, he would say, good job to everybody except me. He forgot to do it this time. It was always the funniest thing in the world. He was usually right. We all knew it was coming and we all laughed like we just heard it for the first time. Like it got funnier and funnier the more that he did it, even though we knew that he was going to do it anyway. Let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Maple Leafs. Uh, you just did the game. You were there. 50% capacity in Toronto now. What were your takeaways? Well, I walked through a concourse after the game to get to where I parked. And it was, it was just great to see people. You know, it started off the game with Matthew scoring on the breakaway in the first 20 seconds. And for the Leafs, Michael Bunting tied or in the lead in goals by rookies. And Russ nearly knocked that down, but T.J. Brody's got Matthews on a break to tie the goal record. And he scores! And Austin Matthews is tied for the league lead in goals 21 seconds in. And there was a buzz in the building when he went in and got the puck and started going. And I missed all that. I mean, I know a lot of you who listen to the States, you, know, you guys look at us as, as kind of crazy in terms of everything that's happened here with capacity restrictions. And Brian Spear, the producer, was at the game tonight. And we were talking as we walked out just about again about how much we've missed it. And we're scheduled to go to 100% on March the 1st. It was just great to be around people at a sporting event. And I know, again, people in the States, you guys are used to this. You've opened before we have. Man, do I realize how much I appreciate a crowd at a game, Jeff. I I loved it tonight. It was such a great atmosphere. It was a fun night. How much effect did it have on the teams, do you think? I mean, not so much the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're not playing at home. They're used to playing in front of crowds anyhow. Um, but on the Maple Leafs specifically, how much of a factor was it? I think it had to be a huge factor, especially after, as we said, Matthew scores so early. Campbell had a big night, and they, when they were yelling soup after yeah. some of his saves, you could see, you know, the players were into it. And, you know, this was our last game at the rink. We are going back to the studio uh, next week, 
and I'm going to miss it. It wasn't as exciting the, the other game we did here, which had no crowd, mm-hmm. but that tonight, uh, Jeff, it was awesome. It was, it was great to be at a game among people. Last time I did it was uh, game five of the Stanley Cup last year, right? So yeah. it had been a while. I really do miss it. A crowd makes such a huge difference, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Did you see when Matthews ate the crossbar? Yes. You know what the weirdest thing about that was for me, Jeff, is that a guy who is so spatially aware did that. I know. I know. And the replay showed his teeth flying out. Oh, yeah. Like, we've seen players do it before, but not someone like Austin Matthews and not as blatant. Like, it looked like he just skated right into that thing mouth first. This is one of the weirdest things I've seen all season. I'm with you because, you know, normally if a guy goes into the net, it's because he's being ridden into it. It was very strange to watch. And I wasn't surprised he came back with whatever it was, two minutes left. Yeah. Because he strikes me as the kind of guy who's going to say, I just want everyone to know I'm okay and that that isn't going to keep me out. Uh, Do you have a thought on both these teams right now? Maple Leafs, Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll move on after this. I think Pittsburgh, you know, they were due to have a bad night. They've been on a tear. Actually, i got to tell you, I didn't even think it was that bad a night for them. First of all, I thought it was a really good game. Like, I like the way Pittsburgh plays. They're going to make mistakes, but they're going to be aggressive. And if I'm going to lose a game, I would rather lose a game out of aggression than passivity. And they were aggressive. And it bit them in a couple of places. And Campbell stood strong when they recovered. I like the Penguins a lot. You know, Berkey in the intermission said he's not sure what they're going to be able to do. Well, first off, we've got to decide what we do with our big money guys that are unrestricted. That would be Malkin and, and Latang. We're going to do something that makes sense. Uh, or we'll wait and see. We've got lots of time before the trade deadline. And then the other guys will sort it out as we go. We do not have a lot of cap space, but uh, I like our team. I don't want to move. My position is I don't want to move guys that make money that are guys that we need, that we care about. So it's going to be hard for us to manufacture cap room. Brian, you've been with the Penguins for about a year now. But it it made it sound like to me they're going to take a run for it and see what happens. I like the Penguins a lot, as long as Jari continues to play well. Mm. You know, Toronto... I really think Campbell got forced out of rhythm by the COVID shutdown. He was on a real roll. He hasn't been the same since that. I just think they have to play him. And tonight, he had a real fluky first save where he kind of got tripped coming out of the net and then got back in and made a huge save. I thought once he made that one, he was rolling. And, you know, Pittsburgh's embarrassed Toronto a couple of times this year. I thought that was a good win for Toronto and a real good game. I don't think anybody left that building tonight yeah. feeling they got cheated out of entertainment. No, not at all. They uh, they enjoyed themselves. Uh, and it's good to see fans back at Scotiabank. You're, uh, you're bang on there. Let's move on then. A couple of things from the week and a couple of things from the weekend, things that are on the horizon. Looking back this week, you know, we've talked plenty about Claude Giroux, Elliot, and the decision. And, you know, we saw him the other day talking to the media and I don't know, it it almost seems as if he has the look and the feel and the tone in his voice. Like he knows what's going to happen. He knows where this is headed. He doesn't have to like it, but he's a big boy and understands that this is the way it's going to be. Um, To be honest, I haven't talked to to Chuck yet about any of this. 
Uh, I'm sure we will at one point. Uh, well, right now I'm uh, I'm committed to this team and uh, start uh, winning some hockey games and uh, keep working as a team here. How did you read Claude Giroux this week? Well, I went on to watch it live as it was happening. Yeah, I mean, it's the organization here. It's, a, it's been great for me for uh, the last 14 years. They treated me the right way. Um, had a chance to play with uh, uh, with a lot of great players and had great coaches. And uh, I feel uh, uh, it, 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 it's on. It's an honor to be uh, 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 to been a flyer this uh, this long. You know, one of my initial reactions was, this is pretty tough to watch. And I think sometimes in my job in particular, where I'm trying to keep on top of what's happening out there, I really try not to, and I really try to keep on top of it. But I sometimes lose the human element of it, particularly at this time of year. Several years ago, Jamie Lundmark's wife reached out to me. I can't remember how it all started. But she wanted to talk about what it was like when your your husband is in the middle of trade rumors right around the deadline. And I remember during a game at what is now the Scotiabank Arena, I went down to just the area outside the wives' room, and she came and met me, and we sat on a couch and talked about it for a few minutes. And I wrote about it. And there was another time where Julie Desjardins' daughter – talked about what it was like when her father's job security was a rumor. And you know, sometimes I think we all need to be reminded of that. And I was reminded of it watching Giroux because most of us sit here and say, oh, why would that guy want to stay? He's coming to the end of his contract. The Flyers aren't going to go make the playoffs. Why wouldn't he easily want to go chase the Stanley Cup? And I think what we were reminded of there, Jeff, is that, you know, being a flyer means a lot to Claude Giroux. Mm -hmm. Watching his family at the All-Star game and how much that meant to him, I think they love it there. I think they do. And, you know, it reminds me, Jeff, and we've all had situations when we leave our jobs. When I left Headline Sports, or the score, I guess, for CBC, I was going to Hockey Night in Canada, and I was going to go. But I remember they had a goodbye party for me. And uh, it was very emotional. Um, there were a whole bunch of pictures on a bristle board, and everybody signed it. And I, I still remember going in the cab home with that poster and how emotional it was for me, just to know, like, all the history. And I remember the last time I ever walked out of the um, Hockey Night in Canada and the CBC building as a CBC employee. That even though, you know, Hockey Night in Canada was going to Sportsnet and Rogers, and I was happy to still be a part of it, you know, it it was tough because there were so many good memories there. And Claude Giroux, the reality is hitting him now. And he's going through that moment that I can empathize with that he knows this is probably going to be the end. And I think it's really hitting him. And to talk about it, Again, like I think to all of us on the outside, like of course you're going to go chase the Stanley Cup. And I think he will, but even though he might be leaving to a better chance to win, that guy's a flyer. And we know for a lot of flyer alumni what it means to be a flyer. And I think it's hitting him right now, and it, 
it hurts. Like I understand exactly mm-hmm. what he's thinking. And Jeff, uh, it reminded me that, you know, maybe I, I don't know if gleeful is the right word. Cause I don't think I'm gleeful, but in my aggressiveness to chase the story, to remember that, you know, there's a person here who's, it's not easy for him to go through. You know, I think after Bobby Clark forgot his name before he drafted him and that and that infamous draft story moment with the Philadelphia Flyers, I think Giroux said something along the lines of, uh, don't worry, Mr. Clark, I'll make sure you never forget my name again. I might be paraphrasing that on Drew, but I think he told Bobby Clark something along those lines. Okay, emotion out of it. Cold, hard reality business of hockey trade deadline approaching. We've talked plenty about the Colorado Avalanche, but you write in 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca about the Florida Panthers. And I look at it and I say, if it's Florida, where? Yeah, um, you know, I, Jeff, you make me laugh. I, first of all, I tell you, you make me laugh because I'm, I'm here waxing poetic about how we should be, you know, empathetic yeah and you're like forget that let's talk about where he's going (laughs) yeah where's he going here we go colorado florida take your pick let's throw some darts here well you know there's been some reporting this week you know obviously we've been all over colorado and uh i still do feel that they're very much in it there's been some reporting about minnesota and st louis i'm sure they're interested i mean why wouldn't they be i just haven't heard them mentioned as much about being the most preferred destinations and you know florida you know when i first heard it the possibility of it i said the same thing to you as why and i think the reason is is someone said to me you know you look at it and you say we could find a fit now i have heard from a couple of people since i mentioned that that the biggest problem you know florida has is they don't have a first rounder this year. Mm -hmm. And actually Colorado's in a similar boat. You know, what a couple of people have told me is that Philly also too, they want a prospect that's closer to playing. So I think that that's going to be the interesting thing here, Jeff, is that like, if it's one of those two teams, it's probably not a first and a prospect. It might be, you know, do you have to move like, two prospects do you have to say a prospect who's close to ready to play and then another asset whatever it is because i do think that philly wants that i think they want someone who can maybe help them next year who's on the cusp of being a player and that might actually help florida and colorado in this situation because i don't think that that's what philly necessarily wants is a first-round pick who might not play for a few years. Other big story this week. Um, Jack Eichel returns finally, and it's a perfect Vegas moment. I mean, write the script. They did it everything outside of the Walt Disney-esque performance by Jack Eichel. And that's understandable. It's his first game in 11 months. You got to cut the guy some slack. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights lose 2-0, but nonetheless, Jack Eichel is back in the mix. Elliot, do you have a thought on that? Well, I thought he was wired. He took a couple of penalties. I mean, how many games is that going to happen where he's taking two minors a game? 
He was wired to play. Like I said, I'm really thrilled he made it through it. Tough place to be dropped in against Colorado. You know, it's not exactly that they're going to take it easy on him and that's going to be a slow game or anything like that. I was just happy to see him back. I thought the introduction for him was great. You know what I'd really like to know is what Nathan McKinnon said to him at the face-off. Oh, yeah. If you watch the start of that game, they were talking to each other for a couple secs. And, you know, it wasn't really the greatest time to ask because of what happened with McKinnon during that game with the hit with um, Patrick. Nolan Patrick. But I would like to find out because I really wonder what McKinnon would say in that moment. I'm guessing it's got to be something akin to welcome back, no? Welcome back. I'm going to kick your ass. Welcome back. Heads up. I'm Nathan McKinnon. We're the Colorado Avalanche. We don't like what happened last year after game two. We didn't even we didn't actually like game two, but we came out with the win, a win we probably shouldn't have had. I want to ask you a question, first of all. All right, go. Do you think that Colorado is still looking at a goalie? Or is this just, okay, Kemper's our guy now? Okay, so here's where I'm at. I thought for a good part of this season that they were until about a month and a half ago when Darcy Kemper really started to come around and pull it back together. And now, considering they gave up a first-round draft pick and Connor Timmons, who... You know, despite his uh, his medical situation, is a really good prospect. I've always liked Connor Timmons. I think that they're looking at this and saying, "Okay, we're good with our goaltending. We're fine. I agree. We know we know we, we know we have about we have one swing. Maybe if that we can make the nickels and dimes work, maybe we'll get two swings at trade deadline time. But it's not going to be on a goalie. We're good with the goaltending." That's what I think. That's what I think too, Jeff. I always heard that they were planning on waiting, waiting, waiting. It's this hope that Kemper would give them enough of a run where he was healthy that they could say we're good with this. And they've got to be at that point now, don't they? I would think so. I mean, he's a 921 goaltender. He's played real good. And when you play on an avalanche team, it's not as if you need elite level goaltending. If you have it, that's great. But, you know, I've always thought that you can't win unless you get 915 goaltending and he's giving them more than that. Yeah. So to me on the Colorado avalanche, if you're getting 915 goaltending, that's good enough. And he's given them more than 915 goaltending. So if I'm Colorado, I'm Joe Sackick. I'm good. I'm looking elsewhere. I'm looking at, you know, Claude Giroux. I'm looking at one of the forwards from the Vancouver Canucks, whatever. I'm looking forwards. I'm looking forwards here. Speaking of Vancouver, the most obvious play, I would imagine, for Jim Rutherford. And, you know, some interesting comments on Halford and Bruff on 650 the other day. Yep. The good thing about Vancouver is people here understand the game and they understand what's going on. And, you know, they may not agree with it, but they understand. And in some cases, you may have to take a step or two back to take a big step forward within a couple of years. Now, that's what we're playing around with here. Where do we go? How does that work? Who helps us win now? Who's going to help us win down the road in a couple of years? What we don't want to do is kind of sit where we're sitting now and still be in that same situation a couple of years down the road. That would not be good. So everything we talk about is where we are now, and we maintain being a team that can compete for a playoff spot, albeit, you know, the odds are against us where we sit right now this year, and also build towards strengthening this team year after year. 
And so it's easy for me to explain, but it's really hard to do. But that's what we're working on. You know that JT Miller has been a topic of conversation in this market. I'm not going to ask you specifically, what are you going to do with JT Miller? Because I don't think I'm going to get that answer. It's more of a big picture question about your thoughts on players that are reaching or close to reaching the age of 30 and becoming pending unrestricted free agents, or at least close to pending unrestricted free agency. To me, this seems like one of the really tough decisions that either president of hockey ops or general managers have to make because you don't want to lose the player necessarily, but you also don't want to sign that player to a contract that is going to age badly. So how do you approach situations like that? Well, I think in general, and I don't want this answer to sound like it's about any of our players. Sure. I'll say it in general for 30-year-old players that you're going to sign long-term. You're going to project how many prime years you're going to get out of that six-year deal and understand at some point in possibly in the last couple of years of the deal, the player may not contribute as much. So is it you try to balance that. You try to weigh that. Is it worth what you're going to get, you know, in the first three or four years, or is it not? And there's some players that really take good care of themselves, which is so important, keeping their leg strength so they still got the same foot speed. There's some players that are capable of playing well into their mid-30s and beyond. We see it. There's examples. And there's many examples of players that don't. So, that's where the decision lies on players like this. The most obvious play here is Brock Besser. Yep. And probably that has to do with the financial realities of what his next contract is going to look like. Your thoughts on Vancouver and Brock Besser, and is he, I mean, is he the obvious candidate or is there someone that we're missing here? Well, look, I reported a while ago that I'm not convinced they want to trade Miller. And I do still think that. It's just that I think they really like Miller. I think they like what the, he brings to their group. He's like an ornery guy and on the ice. And, you know, you need people like that. Players like Miller, they, he can play center. He can play the wing. He drags you into the fight. I'm not convinced that that's the guy they want to move. And I haven't been convinced that that's the guy... They wanted to move for some time. They always get asked about him, and they know that that means he's got value. But I think they also look at their team and say, if we lose him, you know, what do we have? And it's the kind of player that when you lose, you're going to have to look for a long time to try to replace him. So I'm not convinced that that's what they want to do. Now, the Besser thing I think there's definitely something to it. The Garland thing, I definitely think there's something to it. You know, some of their other players, I definitely think there's something to it. But one of the things that I really do believe is that the Canucks have to get their head around what Miller's future is going to be. Because I think they sit there and they say, we could trade him, we could keep him, and they're also looking at what does it cost us to sign up? And I think that's going to be a huge number. 
if you're Jim Rutherford and you're thinking, okay, I wonder if we have a shot here to re-sign JT Miller. One, you don't necessarily like what the next Brock Besser contract is going to look like. And two, you're going to need some money for JT Miller. Isn't the MO here if you're Jim Rutherford? Sure, we want to do everything on the Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, Demco timeline. We understand all that. But isn't job number one then maybe just making cap space? Just get us some flexibility? Yes, I do think that's the case. I think the thing with Besser is that anyone you trade him to has the same issue you do. What's the next deal? And that's why you need to trade him to a team that has some expiring contracts and has the room to do it and has a need for a goal-scoring winger. And I think that's why New Jersey makes the most sense. Well, we mentioned New Jersey and Garland, right? Yeah. I do think there is a potential match here. Obviously, it's been reported they talked in the past, and that's true. I think the most challenging thing to figure out is how close they actually got. And I think they really talked about it, but I I got told today by a couple of people it wasn't close. I think the way it was reported was got down the road. I think that's a very accurate way of reporting it, but it wasn't close, I was told. like It was, it was never like Brian Windhorst, who, who really did a lot of the big reporting last week in the NBA on the James Harden-Ben Simmons trade. He used the phrase, the deal zone. We're in the deal zone. I like that one. I'm completely stealing it now. <laughs> I, I don't think that they were in the deal zone. I think they talked about it as you know Frank reported, but I don't think they were in the deal zone. The thing that someone said to me about Besser that's the challenge now is that the time to get Besser may have been a year or two ago when you still had some time on this current contract. Like, does it affect your asset return if trade for him now when you have to deal with the $7.4 million qualifying offer? Right. Like, I think if you're New Jersey, let's just assume it's New Jersey for a sec, okay? Yep. We'll use New Jersey, but it could be anyone else. Let's just say you're interested in both Besser and Garland. Okay. Mm -hmm. From a contract standpoint, who makes more sense? Uh, Connor Garland makes more sense in this situation. Right. So then the question becomes, do you like Besser that much more of a player for argument's sake to give up the assets to what's going to take to get them Mm -hmm. plus whatever the new deal is? And that's the challenge here. Like, it's not like a big secret, but I was talking about with someone and he said, that's Vancouver's big challenge here because everything they feel about Besser's next deal, the acquiring team is going to feel that way too. Mm -hmm. So at some point in time, I'm going to wonder, are we going to reach a point where teams are going to be given the opportunity to say, before we do this deal, we'd like to talk about his next contract. I'm with you, Freach. I share the same concern. I think anybody that follows us closely would echo that as well. A few more things to hustle and get to before you get home. The Chicago Blackhawks general manager, Hunt. You really popped a name here. Teresa Resch uh, is employed by the Toronto Raptors of the NBA. She is the VP of Basketball Operations and Player Development. This one was a surprise to just about everybody, although should it be a surprise considering 
You know, it wasn't that long ago that Jeff Greenberg was interviewed um, assistant general manager with the Chicago Cubs. So it's not just quote unquote hockey people that are getting interviewed here. What should we know about Teresa Resch? First of all, I say popping a name is better than popping a hamstring. I, so I'm I'm happy about that. Yes, yes. You know, Jeff. Honestly, it's uh, it is a surprise. I appreciate you trying to uh, say that maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because, as you said, there were going to be some off the beaten path candidates here. The more I think about it, I just I would never have even considered going down this road unless I hadn't been pointed in that direction. And it's not anything against Teresa Rescher or her abilities to do the job or anything like that. I just wouldn't have thought of it. So on that level, I absolutely think it's a surprise move. Michael Grange did a a really good story on uh, her on uh, Thursday. I called Michael before I uh, published on Rory Boylan, our editor's suggestion, I called Michael before we published the quick note on, on Wednesday and just gave him a heads up that what I was doing. And, you know, he obviously, he has the really good basketball sources, so he could do some things that I wasn't able to do. And you really saw that, the story he came up with. You know, he came up with a story about, you know, her efforts to get their new practice facility built and some of the things she's been responsible for that were much more in-depth than I was aware of. You know, the things that I was told that the reasons that she was pointed out to them, and it was Mike Ford of Sportsology who kind of led them down this road, is she's got background in both and big responsibilities in both the basketball side of the team and the business operations side of the team. She does scouting. She's been sent on uh, road trips. And basically, the Raptors, you know, Masai Ujiri is the leader of the team. Bobby Webster, the GM, has gained a lot of responsibility. And, you know, basically, she's right there as a very trusted confidant to both of them. So in terms of just overall ability to do a job and to manage a team, she's definitely qualified. I just think that the biggest question is, how serious a contender is she? I I had a lot of people asking me that. Like, people are saying, is this just an interview to make the Blackhawks look good? Is this a serious contender? I have had people say to me, don't underestimate this. I think the Blackhawks are going to decide either second-tier candidates. I think there's an outside chance they announce a GM like at the end of next week. I think they go second-tier candidates first. I think there's a chance she ends up being a second-tier candidate from them. The most interesting thing that someone said to me was, the Raptors pay very well, Mm. and her star is rising in the NBA. And I had a couple people who said to me, they wonder if she would want this job and B, if she gets hired for this job, she's going to need help because she's stepping into a completely unfamiliar area. So you need good people around you who can help you with what you don't know because we all don't know a lot. And some of the people I spoke to wondered, would she feel confident in what the Blackhawks would put around her? I don't want to speak for uh, Teresa Resch, I'm just asking questions that were asked of me. So let me ask you one question that was asked of me today. Yeah. 
talked to someone uh, this afternoon who said, have you heard the name Jason Botterill in Chicago? And I said, personally, no. And they said, well, it's a name that we've heard a couple of different times. Have you heard the name Jason Botterill in Chicago? I heard it. It was denied to me, but it fits, right? Like It does fit. It was denied to me. But then again, I will say this. Teresa Resch's name was denied to me. You know, one of the reasons I think people were so surprised was that um, her name wasn't announced and all the other names were announced, right? Right. And I was under the impression that there was some conversation about someone here preferred it not to be announced by the team, whether it was the Blackhawks, whether it was Teresa Resch or whether it was the Raptors, I don't know, but there was some talk about that. So it was denied to me, but as I said, Jeff, that doesn't always mean anything here. Listen, it's been a really interesting week for the Montreal Canadiens. Last podcast, we talked about the Tyler Toffoli trade, what's next for Kent Hughes and some of the names. And one of the things that's happened over the past few games, and listen, Montreal won uh, a game on Thursday night, is... All of the sudden, you know, you always wonder, you know, okay, new coach comes in, who's going to have the greatest impact? Like whose game is going to change? Who's going to get the benefit here from the new coach? And it seems right away that the answer is Cole Caulfield. Like under Martin St. Louis, Cole Caulfield it looks like a different player, is producing like we haven't seen, and right away it looks like the first person that St. Louis has helped, Cole Caulfield. Well, that's the player you have to invest in, right? Because he's your future. He scored that huge goal at the end of regulation to send that game against St. Louis into overtime. When I see Cole Caulfield, if Martin Saint-Louis can't help that player, that's good news for everybody involved because he's got to be, if not number one on your priority list, he's very close to the top. Mm -hmm. So if there's a connection between Saint-Louis and Caulfield, that is a rare bright light in a dismal season for the Canadians. That's the guy you got to make work. Yeah. Like, listen, you're right. They're doing this. They need a guy like Caulfield. They need Nick Suzuki. We all know the trade candidates, etc. And you're looking for a good news story. Like, man, if you're in Montreal, hand me something positive. And right now it's the battery of the coach, Martin St. Louis and Cole Caulfield. Um, all right, you're allowed to go inside now, Elliot. You can uh, get out of your yeah, car I'm and in my walk driveway. through the driveway. You're ready to go. But uh, not before I let you know that taking us out today, a new age beat maker who found his voice in the most interesting of places. Datsun has been creating music since 2019, but it's his 2022 album that put him on the map, having been created on Twitch in the fall of 2019. From his forever flowing LP, here's Datsun with I Guess It's Called... 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I guess it's all.